Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchmen Talk, a series of conversations with military and security experts and practitioners. I'm Amir Oren, and our guest today for the second part of our chat is uh, retired General Avigdor Kalani. Welcome. In our first conversation, uh, we got to the uh, Yom Kippur War, October 1973. You are in charge of a tank battalion, regular army tank battalion, very young soldiers, 19 and 20 year olds, and you are already a veteran, a 29 year old uh, Lieutenant Colonel. And here you are, all of a sudden, even though there was some early warning, the Syrians are attacking in force. There is something of an anti-tank ditch uh, in the area, some natural obstacles, but you are overwhelmed by several brigades, even several divisions, and you have only one brigade of several battalions to block them. What happened? First, you have to know that uh, Golan Heights is just uh, 12 miles wide and like a 50 mile walk, no more than that. And uh, they had the mission to, uh, to, to invade to the Golan Heights in one day. And um, we fought uh, to block them for four days and we lost more than two thirds of the Golan Heights. We lost at the Hermon Mountain, which was the ice of the nation. We lost at all the South uh, area and the brigade commander, his deputy was killed over there. And we found ourselves in near the Valley of the Tears with seven brigade, and the mission was to block them. And they came with uh, um, Rifat, Aus, uh, uh, Rifat Assad. The brother uh, of the president. Uh, yeah. Uh, that he came uh, from um, uh, on the, the last day, on, on Tuesday. To reinforce them. And, yeah, and they uh, arrived to the area, and they had a mission to accomplish the mission to accomplish, uh, to, uh, to invade also, the Also, they were later reinforced by Jordanians and the Iraqis. Yeah. And um, my mission was that I was commander of the battalion to block them. Um, my commander, Janusz Bengal, have decided to withdraw in the first day. I was in another area, and he called me with the seven tank that I uh, was left. And um, he decided to withdraw from the first line to the second line. And he ordered to those tanks that it was belonged to me, uh, but under another commander, to withdraw and to come to uh, because it was supposed to be a better tactical yeah, position. Yeah, because I couldn't couldn't stop the Syrian. And it was the moment that I was seven tanks and and the, the second line, I saw eight helicopters above my head, fifty meters something like that, with many uh, soldiers commando. And they landed behind me uh, like a two kilometer, and they blocked the only road was open at that time to evacuate the casualties. And now try to- uh, So you were I'm, encircled. I'm, yeah, I, I, I try to imagination. Uh, 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 artillery shell was falling thousands of thousands. Their aircraft, they bomb us all over, all, even my tank three times. Um, Israeli tank running away, uh, behind us, the main road, uh, nobody can bring us a logistic, uh, all the, uh, what we need, our gas, with, uh, whatever. And this was the moment that I was here, and Janusz suddenly decided 
to move me from the second line to the first line. And he said, um, I'm going to change my mind. Take your tank and run immediately to the first line. Yeah, it sounded to me unlogic. I said, no, no, I'm not going to with my seven tanks. I'm going alone to see, to, to, to figure out uh, which play, how to operate those tanks. And suddenly he asked me, uh, Victor, the, by the way, how many tanks do you have? said, oh, the Syrian listened to our voice, but I tell him how many tanks I have. I said, uh, I'm going to line you. And there is a saying, just the Jewish people know that, Lashon Segina, or it's come from Aramit. And I said, I'm going to give you a message with Lashon Segina, or... And I told him they have a 40 tank for all. Tongue in cheek, one, yeah. one may say. Yeah. And I said, I have 40 tanks. Uh, no, 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 41. And I'm ready to go to attack them. When I move along to, uh, it was like two miles. And I saw already a few uh, Syrian tanks waiting for me on the, on the hills. And I've decided to come from the left side and to attack them with my tank. Alone. Hold it for a second. Um, earlier in the 1960s, the Israeli tanks, because of some technical improvements in gunnery, um, had a better range than the uh, Soviet-made tanks that the Egyptians and Syrians had. But this time around, the Syrians uh, were already supplied by, by new uh, Soviet tanks. And because of the close proximity, you had no advantage over them. No, we didn't have any advantage. The silhouette of their tank was a two meter high, and we have three meter. It's completely different. They have, uh, the main gun was uh, the cannon, was one, one, five millimeter. They can shoot for four kilometers without any uh, problem. You were more, we, more vulnerable. Yeah, we had to shoot a kilometer and a half, no more than that, one mile, no more than that. And every tank had the infrared system. During the night, they could shoot whatever, the, and, and we didn't have infrared, some, some, just because some budget, you know, some, somebody saved money on... Uh, uh, on, to, on your uh, skin. Yeah. Anyway, I found myself in the front of me four tanks, and I killed them. And I found after that um, a long stay, look, all the suicide, and I was in shock. I saw something like a uh, hundred. So you have tanks. to move up and down and rapid yeah. fire. So your gunner must yeah. have helped yeah, you a uh, lot. Yeah, but I had to to bring all the tanks. I had 11 tanks, something like that. And to try to uh, to be uh, back on the hills that uh, I can stop them. All, most of them was in the Valley of the Tears. What, what is the secret of leadership in such a situation where, of course, it's mortal fear, People are getting killed. Your troopers know that they are in mortal danger. I tell you, there is a three level of leadership. A leadership like company commander and uh, platoon leader. As commandership is a battalion commander and brigade. And generalship is the division. I was commander during all this uh, kind of level. Um, first, if you want to move your soldiers, you have to... Uh, to to be example, to be uh, you know to be in the front of them. They can look at you. They can listen to your voice, and nobody will stop after that if they can see that. Um, so do you fake it when you sound cool under pressure, while you internally 
are not cool at all. How, yeah, how do you... all, all, all the time you feel that just you are going to be killed uh, soon. So how do you fake it? Uh, you look you you behave like an actor because like an actor he doesn't feel well on the stage, he will continue. And you know that all the eyes look at you and look at your back when they see you and they listen to you. And now you, you make the show. You have to make the show. Show them with the flag that you are on the front. Everybody can see your number on the tank. They can see your back from behind and nobody can stop. And they listen on the radio. And they listen on the radio to my voice. And uh, of course, it uh, happened to me in 67, it uh, happened to me. And this was the moment, it was a critical moment that I couldn't convince them to move forward to be on the top of the hills to stop the story. And I was the only person in the world that I knew 160 tanks arrived. And we've been like 11. And, you know, the moment, the last moment, I, how is it? I convinced them. I told them, MIC chicken in my unit. <laughs> we are better than them. We Jew. We know how to operate our tank. What happened to us? And I start to move it. Another thing, another thing. We arrived to the top of so the hills. So positive as well as negative incentives. <laughs> um, you lead them by praise, but also by... It's, it's come from our education, the value of education. And some, somebody I met after the war, you know, he said, I didn't move, I didn't move, I didn't move. I, I listened to your voice. And suddenly you call me chicken. I thought I'm going to kill you. And I moved forward. Uh, you know, he feel shame to stay behind us, and he moved forward. And um, this is this is maybe uh, all the kind of the education and the, the, the responsibility uh, so, that we have the, our country. So on the 9th of October, the fourth day of the war, you managed to turn the tide. The Syrians were blocked, and later uh, your unit and others moved into Syria proper. And at war's end, you found out that not only did you lose many of your soldiers, but also your own family was struck twice. Yeah, I didn't know. I continued to fight until the last moment. And then I, when I was a ceasefire, my commander called me and said, uh, go home. I said, what, what, what's going on? What, what happened? He said, your brother was killed. I had uh, my brother, Emmanuel. He got married a day before... Uh, Uh, Rosh Hashanah is a new year. He was tank commander, and he, uh, and he was in the middle of honeymoon. He was killed in uh, Sinai. I had another uh, brother in my battalion. They evacuated him um, uh, eight days before that. And when I realized what happened to me, and after that he said, uh, even uh, the brother of your wife was Your brother-in-law. Yeah, uh, yeah brother-in-law. <coughs> For her, it was the second brother. It was killed during the war. And uh, we lost it in this war 2,654, something like that, soldiers, 7,000 badly wounded. And it was a um, hard feeling. Uh, you didn't know that you are post-traumatic. You were even pre-traumatic. You didn't know that you, another trauma had uh, awaited you in 1973. So after... Um, surviving two such harrowing experiences in 1967, 1973, 
all these operations, your body, your, your mind, you still decided to stay in the career? Yes, of course, or? of course. I, um, two years after that, I became the Seven Brigade Commander. I was very proud to be there. By the, and, um, and this is, uh, by the way, Americans uh, remember their legacy, the 7th Cavalry under General George Armstrong Custer, 7th Cavalry coming to the rescue uh, everywhere. <laughs> and the 7th Brigade did the same in yeah. the Golan Heights. And, uh, and you, wrote, you wrote the book uh, in English called Heights of Valor. Um, Heights of Courage. Heights of Courage. And uh, you told me the name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, and uh, you went to study in... Uh, I studied in the United States on the Command General Staff College in how, Kansas. How, how did they uh, uh, relate to you? It was so strange for me. First, uh, every day, coming home, afternoon. And I had many problems with the language. And, uh, I didn't understand what they're talking about, you know. With the, the, I, I thought... You can't, you can't just <laughs> shoot a language and <laughs> occupy it. You have I was to... listening, you know, and... Uh, And I had a lot of experience, and, but it's completely different. In our country, I was uh, the commander of uh, Command General Staff College. It's, uh, you have a small group, 12, and you can talk with them. And in the United States, you have a, a section like uh, 60, 6-0, and uh, nobody know you, and uh, you are, sorry, like a catalog number. And I, I, I lost a few uh, exams. And they called me and said, oh, what, what's going on? I said, no, I was brigade commander. I know all the, all the material. He said, no, but how come? How do you, <laughs> I don't know you. This is academic. <laughs> and actually, they have been studying your battles, and you could have failed a class where they studied you. I found people read my book in the school and said, how come? I didn't translate it yet, the book. Uh, the height of courage. I said, no, we found a way out to translate yes, it. The, the, US Army, it. the US yeah. Army had... Uh... It translated, yeah. And uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it's a small story. Um, um, Minister of, uh, how you call it, security? Uh, no, security. Where? Uh, in the United States, Pompeo. The Secretary of State, State. Uh, during, during the Trump administration, uh, who was a West Point... Uh, yeah, graduate yeah. and and chose well, armor resistance. He was a few months in our country. He said he came here to say hello, and somebody said, "Come to the Golan Heights. He would like to meet you." I said, "Ah, oh, well, I know." But you go to the Golan Heights frequently. Yeah, yeah. But he said, "We met each other, and yeah, the ambassador here in our country." He said, "He said, do whatever you want." He said to the ambassador, "You can move me from area there, but one request." I would like to find, uh, to meet Avigdor Kalan in Golan Heights. How come? He said, and Pompeo said, you, I read your book three times when I was in the West Point and you were the hero of our class and now I'm very happy to meet you. Ah. Well, of and course, yeah. He was first in his class in West Point and of course um, you can choose your branch when uh, you are in the top 10% of your class. He chose armor and he patrolled the um, border between the two Germanys before unification. And uh, obviously the Israeli Defense Forces were some of the best examples of uh, armor uh, warfare. So after the 7th Brigade and other um, assignments, you were given uh, the command of the 36th 
uh, armor division, division, which was at that time the biggest and most powerful unit in the Israeli Defense Forces. And you had two missions. First, you had to pacify the Golan Heights, even though the Golan Heights were already occupied, but there was an incident where Israel decided to annex the Golan Heights and give its population, mostly Druze, Israeli ID cards. Now, they were afraid that uh, their families uh, will have retribution from Syria, and they resented it and objected to it. So how, how did you manage? I got, a, I got an order to give them uh, identification. And I didn't know what to do, how to do it, because I, uh, I didn't know the people. And of course, we have done, uh, we fourth brigade, we move from house to house, we give them the identification, and they, uh, they make a show, they throw it away, when we moved, and after that, they run to take it out, take it back. Uh, anyway, it was, that uh, I found myself standing in the front of a few thousand people, talk to them, and try to explain to them, this is uh, what we, we need if you don't want, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so this I, was I your first to... political experience. <laughs> and yeah, well, I found myself in uh, Bukata and Masade and Majdul Shamsim almost killed me. Uh, and I remember that so well. And uh, when we finished this operation, uh, my commander, the North Command, said, you're going to be the chief of the Druze people. <laughs> like, they love you so much. And how come? that you, uh, you, uh, you push him to take the, the identification, and after that, they appreciate. Now, when, when this uh, political move was decided on by the Begin government, they expected Syria to go to war uh, in order to um, avert it or take revenge. And your division already in late 1981 prepared to go into Lebanon, which eventually you did uh, some six months later. And you predicted very accurately the number of Israeli casualties if this operation goes forward and if the Syrian army clashes with you or if the IDF goes to Beirut. So you knew in advance that this was going to be a different sort of war. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, some people said, uh, why we have done this operation in the Lebanon. Uh, at that time, we didn't have any question about that. We saw this is the way to push the uh, PLO from uh, the border, and they uh, shot so many artillery shells uh, to our towns and near the border, and we have decided to do it. They moved me from the Golan Heights. It looks strange to move me from Golan Heights from the Syrian, because Syrian, they're waiting for us. Uh, and they took the risk at that time. And I moved and I fought uh, in Lebanon with my division. We arrived to Beirut. Yes, I, I can tell you, I, I remember so many, many, many um, uh, situations in this war, but one of them, it was in Saida. And um, I had a hundred aircraft. Uh, this above is me. a big coastal town uh, yeah. north of the border. And I've decided to send them back to Israel because I was in the middle of the town and I saw so many people running away. They don't know what to do. And I thought, I'm, I'm not going to kill them at this moment, even my mission to invest to this town. Palestinians it's, as well as yeah, Lebanese. Yeah, and I've decided to send the aircraft back with uh, the bombs, whatever. 
And after that, I read in the newspaper that we killed so many people. It was, uh, it, it's a lie. There was another issue, another moral or leadership issue, because you were asked in advance uh, in a friendly conversation, um, if this is going to happen and so many people are going to be killed in a war of choice, not a war that was forced on you. Why do you stay in your position? Why don't you resign? And one of your answers was, um, it's my responsibility to my troops not to leave them on the eve of battle. They will have another commander, a fresh one, and they uh, will be in more danger if I'm not with them to protect them. Look, um, I know what you mean. Uh, I was a division commander at that time. And uh, we had a big argue if we are going to uh, invade to Beirut. And I thought uh, to myself that, uh, and I talk with my commanders, that I think it's a mistake. It's a mistake for many, many reasons, because to uh, invade to Beirut, is, uh, we had so many casualties, and uh, it, uh, it, it, uh, it's mission impossible. We don't need to do it. But why we have to be in the middle of Beirut? And I tried to convince everybody around me, but I couldn't talk with uh, some political people. They come to, uh, to, to, to be in the, my headquarters and to tell them what I think about that. And I didn't tell them. Of course, it, it, it wasn't in my mind to move, of course not, to resign, of course not. I'm a soldier, I'm division commander. I know uh, that uh, uh, this is uh, my job to do. I try to convince. I've done uh, many, many things in my, my life. And sometimes I convince my commander, this is not the right way to do. And this is my mission. To run away, this is, uh, it, 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 it is a shame from my point of view. Now, in other armies, the U.S. Army, the Russian Army, many other armies, a division commander is a major general, a two-star general. In Israel, a more modest, uh, a poorer country, uh, the chief of staff is only a three-star general, a lieutenant general, and division commanders are one-star generals. And you finally retired as, as brigadier general, and you went into politics. And after serving uh, in the Israeli parliament in the Knesset for four years, you managed to be on the winning side in a coalition, and you became uh, minister of public security. How did your military experience influence the way you viewed the domestic front, homeland security, public security? When I was in the Knesset, I tried to convince Mr. Rabin that he was prime minister to evacuate the, for, the forces uh, from Lebanon. I thought uh, we, should, uh, we don't have to be there. This is my point of view, and it's not to support our security. This is between 1992 and 1995 1992, when he right. was assassinated. And after that, um, um, Rabin, Mr. Rabin, uh, that uh, we had a very good relationship, he have decided to go to the second Oslo agreement. And I couldn't agree with that. When he tried to convince the people to vote for him to Labour Party that I was Apart from the Labour Party, he sent me to the Golan Heights to stay there and said, we never moved to Golan Heights. And he asked me to be in the Jordan River near Jericho and to stay near the water and said, we never will move from here. And after that, 
situation change, and uh, I found myself that what why I promised the people they uh, joined me because they look at me like I'm, I'm the right wing in the Labour Party. And I found myself um, that uh, so what you, I promised you left you know, the, the uh, and I decided to leave, and we build a, a new movement on the name Third Way, and it's become after that a party, and uh, we got a four Knesset member at that time, and I became uh, um, internal security uh, uh, minister of uh, internal security. and the member of the security cabinet. And, yeah, became, yeah. And uh, I was, at uh, that time, uh, Bibi uh, was uh, the Prime Minister. Netanyahu. Uh, was Prime Minister. And uh, I think the moment that I got this uh, kind of job, uh, the, uh, to be Minister of uh, Public Security, it's, uh, it's helped me when I came from the Army and I found this, uh, the, the police uh, situation is similar, like sometimes like the Army. And I found that I can change many things and move them like the army should operate in our country. And but, I change many things. But, but one, one idea which you pushed, uh, and it was based on the recommendations of several commissions, did not manage to, to win uh, acceptance. And that is to take the uh, home front command from the military to your ministry. Uh, to be side by side with the police, much like the border police and other units. But this makes sense. Yeah, and I've decided to uh, border police to move all of them, all of them immediately to the border near the green line or something like that. The police, uh, um, they, um, it was against me. They, I had to give order to do that. And then they prefer to stay like whatever, uh, some Tel Aviv, some, some other place. And I... Uh, Give them order to do it, and I thought this is my this is the way it should be, and I changed many things. When I came from the army, and my uh, CO was from the army too, we have decided to uh, to uh, to study everything and to make decision, and we worked so hard at that time. But it's helped me, of course. What is so special about the Merkava tank? I have two uh, tank commanders in my home, two sons. Uh, it's a, is it special tank? Why? First, it's uh, we did it. We did it produced by Israel, except this except is, uh, for uh, the uh, engine. Uh, another thing is uh, one of the best tank in the world. You have everything, what all the facilities that the crew need, and of course the protection with the engine in the front and the, the uh, all the crew is behind the engine. Sometimes it's support, sometimes not. But uh, and you can bring crew to the third. Um, eight people can be there. And yep. This is belong to us. We're very proud of this tank. And I can tell you, it's almost like the, oh, maybe uh, similar like uh, Abrams and the Leopard and whatever you want. And uh, one of the best uh, tank in the world. General Avigdor Kalani, your uh, eyes light up when you talk about <laughs> armor still. Um, a veteran armor officer and fighter. It was a pleasure and honor to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Amir. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.